0: Good evening, and we'll come back to Psalm 119. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the wonderful chapter, the wonderful Psalm. We're looking at 73 to 80, the 10th section of the Psalm. Um, I'll pray as we read. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living and operative and sharper than any two edged sword. Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak well of our Savior Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Psalm 119:73, and it's entitled "A Little Word Yod." 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your words. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. That in faithfulness you have afflicted me let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law your your law is my delight let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood as for me I will meditate on your precepts let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies and may my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame the lord Jesus' famous saying he said not a jot or tittle of the law would fail is actually not a yod, the tiniest letter of the hebrew alphabet and this psalm takes us right back to the first truth of the christian faith and life it asks us to remember some very very basic things some things that we have known from the very beginning of our Christian pilgrimage, but which we need to relearn and be reminded of all the time and grow deeper in and draw more comfort and encouragement and strength from. And it asks us to look at those first truths and it asks us to stand and look at them and study them and believe them and assimilate them and apply them in our own lives. And I want to look at some of those truths that are set forth, the first truths in this section of Psalm 119. Firstly, God made me. The first truth, God made me. The catechism which sometimes children are taught says who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you and everything else for his own glory? Simple. But, you know, so much of the Christian life is caught up on those first three catechism questions. If we really would believe those questions, we would be a mighty army of witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the gospel. God made me. Verse 73, your hands made and fashioned me. The psalmist acknowledging God is creator. God is my creator. He made me. He made me. Now that statement is so important because you notice by the time that we have gotten to the second half of verse 75, we're back in affliction again. The first stand, third stanza in a row that talks about affliction, and the psalmist is wrestling with affliction in his life. And as he reflects on that affliction, he goes to this first truth: God made me. Your hands have made and fashioned me, Lord. I'm in the middle of affliction, but I know you made me. You made me who I am. You did not do this to harm me. You did not do this to hurt me. You did this because you love me. You did this because you are good. The psalmist goes back to the first truth. You, O Lord, have made me and fashioned me. God is. God made everything that is, and he made me who I am. And if he made me who I am, he made me for this hour of affliction too, and he will bring me through. So the first truth of the Christian faith and life that this psalm calls us to meditate on that God made me second truth first truths give me understanding in the second half of verse 73 give me understanding that I may learn your commandments the psalmist in the middle of affliction has started meditating on the fact that God made him now he asks for understanding God made me give me understanding and give me understanding is one of the key prime prayers of the Christian life It's a key principle, and we need in every circumstance of life is understanding of God and his promises and his purposes. And what we need in every circumstance of the Christian life is a deeper, more biblical understanding of who God is and what he is doing in the world. And I love how William Plumer says this, our dear friend William Plumer, our chief concern, even in our trials, ought to be to understand more perfectly the divine will. And I just want to tell you right now in my trials that is usually down the list. In my in my trials, my first concern is usually get me out of here quickly, or this hurts, Lord, stop it. But William Plumer is saying no. In trials, the first question, the first issue, has to be, Lord, I want to understand. I want to understand who you are. I want to understand what you are like. I want to understand your great purposes in the world. And even though I don't understand the specific purposes of this trial for my life, I know that the specific purposes of this trial, whatever they are, are ultimately so that I will know you and your great purposes. So even if I never know your specific purposes, Lord, in this trial, give me understanding. I want to know you more and I want to know what you're doing in the world so teach me that from your word give me understanding is the prayer of the afflicted believer though not necessarily Lord help me understand what you're doing right now because he may never tell you he may never tell you but all over his word God has told you the big thing he is up to so in your trials you can learn in a way that you cannot learn anywhere else the third first truth is your growth in grace is an encouragement to believers in verse 74 your growth in grace is an encouragement to other believers your growth of grace even in affliction is an encouragement to believers your growth of grace especially in affliction is an encouragement to other believers verse 74 those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. The psalmist is praying this. He's in affliction. He's in the middle of trial. And what he, well, what is he saying? When they look at me in the middle of this trial, see me hoping in your word, they're going to rejoice. They're going to be encouraged. They're going to see a man afflicted, not disbelieving you, not doubting you, not hopeless, not bitter, not confounded, not angry with God. They are going to see a man who's hanging on for dear life. And they're going to say, thank you, Lord, because I want to hold on to you too. And that brother that's hanging on for dear life in the middle of trial is going to help me hang on to you for dear life in my trial. Thank you, Lord. I'm rejoicing you that you've let me see this faithful, struggling, believing brother because it has encouraged me. Growth in grace, even and especially through affliction, is an encouragement to other believers. We need your affliction just like we need our own, and your affliction is meant to bless and encourage other believers. The key to the psalmist's hope is the word of God. I have hoped in your word. In other words, God's promise was the basis of his hope, and believers watched him grow in his trials by trusting in the promises of God and by trusting and hoping in the word of God. And as they watched him trust in God's promise, and and they saw him hope in God's words in trial, They're encouraged and they rejoice. The fourth first truth is God is righteous. What he does is right. Verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. God is righteous. What he does is right. And it's a glorious confession. And it's going to be the second half of this verse 75 where the psalmist begins to talk about his affliction. But before he does, what does he say? I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. The psalmist is justifying God. And you know, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has justified you. In other words, the world looks at you and condemns you and says, sinner, and God says, I declare him righteous. and That's justification. And the world sometimes looks at your trials and says, God cannot be good. And what does the believer do? The believer justifies God by saying God is good all of the time. And that is what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is justifying God he's declaring God to be righteous even in his trials the beautiful hymn which I'll read now whatever my God ordains is right his holy will abideth I will be still what he doth and follow where he guideth he is my God though dark my road he holds me that I shall not fall wherefore to him I leave it all Whate'er my God ordains is right, He never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path, I know He will not leave me. I take content what He hath sent. His hand can turn my griefs away, and patiently I wait His day. Whate'er my God ordains is right, though now this cup in drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart, I take it all unshrinking. My God, is true each morn and new sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart and pain and sorrow shall depart whate'er my god ordains is right here shall my stand be taken though sorrow need or death be mine yet am i not forsaken my father's care is round me there he holds me that i shall not fall and so to him i leave it all and it's not just a song of trust the hymn of trust Every stanza begins with the singer of the song justifying God. You are right. You are righteous. You are good. You have not done me wrong. You have not forsaken me. You have not let me down. And right here I am held in the palm of your hand. That is what the psalmist is teaching in verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. So, God is righteous. What he does is right. That is the first truth of the Christian life. That is a declaration of the believer even in trials the fifth first truth god afflicts in faithfulness and then the second half of verse 75 and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me god afflicts in faithfulness let me say that another way god afflicts because of his faithfulness let me say that another way god is faithful in our affliction let me say it all those ways God afflicts us in faithfulness. He afflicts us because of his faithfulness and he is faithful to us in his affliction of us in our affliction. And have you noticed this theme in verse 67 of Psalm 119? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The psalmist is saying, Lord, I have seen how your affliction worked in my life so that I keep your word. I was straying, you brought me back, it took affliction. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. Sometimes it is the hard way, but he brings us back. Psalm 119 verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. The psalmist is saying, Lord, I did not like it. It didn't feel good. I do not want to go through that again, but it was good for me. And then in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. You've been faithful, Lord. In your affliction of me, in my affliction, you have been faithful to me. God afflicts in faithfulness because of his faithfulness and he is faithful to us in our affliction. That is a great truth of the Christian life. And if you get your heart and your head around that, you've learned a secret, a great secret of the Christian life. Six, go to God to be comforted in your trials. Verse 76, the sixth truth, go to God to be comforted in your trials. Let me expand that. Go to God to be comforted in your trials by his promises. Verse 76, that your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. So it is not just that he acknowledges that the Lord is faithful to him in affliction. The Lord said it is good to come to me and ask for comfort. Thank you for justifying me, believer. Thank you for saying that I am good. Thank you for saying that I am right. Thank you for confessing that I am righteous. Thank you for acknowledging that I am faithful in affliction. It is good for you to come to me and say, Lord, would you comfort me? Verse 76, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. How does God comfort us? By his promises. Verse 76, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. God comforts you in your trials by his promises. I say it a lot because I believe it so much. God comforts you in your trials by his promises. Go to him. Go to him and ask for comfort in his promises. Truth seven, God knows that you need mercy to survive. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. What is the principle of the Christian life? God knows you need his mercy to get by. Go to him. He will give it to you. I love what our dear friend William S. Plumer says about this passage. He says so beautifully, if God is our enemy, we be dead men. That's what he says, so true, so succinct. If God be our enemy, we be dead men. God knows we need his mercy to survive. Go to him, he will give it to you, truth eight. God's humbling of the proud is necessary for salvation. Verse 78, let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. God's humbling of the proud is a necessary part of for their salvation and for yours. Sometimes it is the very humbling of the insolent that leads them to trust in God, that leads to their conversion. God's humbling of the proud is necessary to their salvation. But get this, my friends, God's humbling of the proud is necessary to the salvation he has given you. God is not going to let your oppressors triumph over you. He will not allow it. He will not save you without humbling your oppressors. They are either going to become your friends in Christ or they're going to fall under his judgment. They are the only two options. They will be your brothers and sisters in Christ if they're humble to conversion or they will be destroyed. Now, that thought shouldn't make us proud or arrogant. It should break our hearts to pray for the insolent and proud. Oh, Lord God, they have no idea what they are doing. They have no idea who they are up against. Oh, God, may your humbling bring them to faith. And if it does not, you will bring them to destruction. So here it is. God's humbling of the proud is a necessary part of his salvation of the saints. That's another truth of the Christian life. The ninth truth. Study the errors, the repentance, the afflictions of God's mercy toward good men. Verse 79. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. That's the psalmist speaking. What is he saying? Go to good men, study their errors, study their repentance and study their affliction study God's mercy to them so you may know God's testimony. Go to godly good men, study their errors, study their repentance, study their afflictions, study God's mercy to them that you may know his testimonies are true. And the tenth and last truth, go to God for a sincere heart, verse 80. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. Go to God for a sincere heart. May my Heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. My dear friend, we live in a deceitful world and our hearts are deceitful and the father of lies is against us. And in those circumstances, we need to go to God and say, God, create in me a clean heart. God, give me a sincere, a sound heart. God, I live in a deceitful world. My uh, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The father of lies is after me and again me, Lord. Give me a whole heart, a heart that is only for you, a heart that loves you, a heart that trusts you, a heart that believes your word, a sound heart. Give me that heart, O Lord. And what does the Lord say? A new heart I will give you. May the Lord bless the word and may you be encouraged for his glory. Amen.